You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and we'll read it here in a minute. Um, Have you ever struggled to learn something new? I was thinking about that with the Padilla family. If you've ever tried to learn a a different language, uh, especially as an adult, it seems like our brains are are kind of more plastic than they are rubber. The older we get, a little bit less flexible, and uh, and sometimes it's hard to learn something new. I remember a couple years ago, I was marveling at my at my phone. Um, I I had figured something out that I thought I didn't know my phone could do, and I thought it was really really cool. So I was telling a group of adults here at church and showing them, did you know your phone could do this? And they were saying, no, I didn't know that. And no, I didn't know that. That's amazing. It must have been the new update. We were all impressed. And then one of my teenage daughters came up and said, that happened on an old update. The phones have been able to do that for two or three years. And I, I mean, I had no idea. You ever feel that way? Like the phones are updating faster than you can even use all the features. And I'm shocked though at how quickly young people pick up on technology. I, I remember when one of our girls, I think it was uh, Jace, actually it was probably Jace, when he was little, uh, he br- came in with a, a picture in a picture frame and he was swiping it like, what's going on? This thing is broken. You know, they, they've grown up with technology at their fingertips. And those kinds of things, you know, for some of us, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until after college and and maybe some of you would be that same way. Our, our teenagers, our kids, they can't even comprehend that. Um, you know, they've grown up with computers. And some of us are like, you know what, I, I'm just going to let my grandkids or my kids do it for me. Um, it's too much to learn. Maybe you've struggled with something, maybe besides technology. Maybe you're, you've got a new job and you're, you're trying to figure out something new. You've got a new language that you're trying to learn. Or you're trying to repair something you've never done before. Uh, YouTube has become a great asset for those kinds of things. If you have something broken, YouTube very often will, somebody will have posted something that can help you with a job that you don't know how to do. The truth is, everybody has difficulty with things they don't understand. You don't master anything until you understand it. But sometimes it's so hard um, and complex that we decide not to even try. If it seems too complex, we'll just maybe throw in the towel and decide the benefits are not worth the effort. And, and that can happen in a lot of ways in life. But you know, I hope that never, we never get to the place that we deal with spiritual things that way. Where we've tried so long, we've tried so hard to, to grow in a certain area or to overcome something in our spiritual lives. And we decide, you know what, it's just too hard. I'm just going to throw in the towel. You ever felt that way, that you were struggling with something and, and you tried for so long and it just could not, you couldn't seem to get it? You know, sometimes the spiritual things seem the hardest. Sometimes victories, spiritual victories, are, are the most difficult to attain. Sometimes spiritual growth feels the slowest. But we should never get to some spiritual trait and say, this is just too hard, I don't know how to do it, I can't handle it, so I'm not going to try. And we do that sometimes, unfortunately. 
Because something is new or it's complex or we don't understand it, we can tend to sweep it under the rug. And that same thing may be true as I've been going through this series on, on worship on Wednesday nights. Um, that same thing could be true when it comes to worship. The basic idea of worship is very simple. It is the voluntary humbling of one person physically and spiritually to, to um, exalt another person. Um, when you say worship, the word a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the word and how it comes from worth and ship. And that when you are worshiping, you are voluntary humbl- voluntarily humbling yourself so that you can exalt the worth of somebody else. The object that you are worshiping. You're trying to let people know this has value. This is worth worshiping. But if we've spent maybe our whole lives sometimes attending services that might be labeled as a worship service, and that's been our only worship experience, no wonder there's confusion and misunderstanding, but, but it doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to worship. Just because it's maybe not been something you've thought of before or understood before, or maybe it's not even something that you have a strong desire to change in your life, it doesn't absolve us from the responsibility, especially, and tonight this is the the focus tonight, especially when you consider the object of our worship. See, God is complex. God is not easy to understand. And we'll only understand him in small part while we're here on earth. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. I was reading Romans 11 just today. It says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Nobody ever gave to God first. Everything we have, he gave to us first. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what a passage of scripture. God is beyond our finding out. He is beyond our comprehension. He is beyond our understanding. And when we come to him and we recognize what worship is, we might think he's too complex. I don't even think I want to try this. And yet we have a very basic understanding from Jesus Christ in John 4 to at this point in her life, an unsaved woman, a Samaritan. And he takes the time to explain to her worship. And we've used this passage already a number of times, but I can't really get past it when we come to worship. We really have to go back to John 4 many times. And see, the person of worship, my first thought tonight, the person of worship can be confused with the place of worship. The person of worship can be confused with the place of worship. The Samaritan woman, she comes along. She has, I believe, at this point when she's asking Jesus, she has good good intentions, but those intentions were a major distraction to the real issue. It did not take this woman long to recognize that Jesus is a prophet, that he's somebody from God. Look at John chapter 4, verse 17. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. He's just called her out on her lifestyle. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thine hus- thy husband, in that thou sayest thou tr- I'm sorry, in that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So this understanding that she knows that Jesus is from God, he's a prophet, this understanding led to questions, and they were not trivial questions. I, I, you know, sometimes you hear, well, you know, we have to dumb down our worship services, or we have to dumb down our church services because people don't speak the lingo, they don't understand the language. But I'm telling you this, if someone comes seeking the Lord, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If someone comes with a sincere heart to seek the Lord, I know this King James may seem a little bit outdated, but my children understood it from young ages enough to be saved. And when people come seeking the Lord, God the Holy Spirit, when we say we have to dumb down what we say or how we teach or even, and I feel this pressure sometimes, the songs that we use because of the archaic language, the Bible we use because of the archaic language, what I believe that does is it sells the Holy Spirit short in his ability to do his job. His ability to enable or illuminate, it has nothing to do with somebody's intellect. I mean, people who cannot, who cannot read can be saved. It is not about intellect. It is about the Holy Spirit illuminating his word to somebody who truly seeks God. And that's, we've got to understand that the answer, if we're saying, man, people are not coming forward, people are not getting saved, the answer is not, let's dumb it down so the audience understand it, understands it. The answer is, no, let's seek the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to move in a different and more mighty way, because that's really what we need. We need him to do his work. So here's this lady coming, and there were questions about worship. How interesting that once she perceived that Christ was extraordinary, and he is, I mean, that's an understatement, Jesus Christ is extraordinary, she asks him about worship. And we have to assume she asks because she wants to do it the right way. I have no reason to question her motives here. Look at verse 20. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So we've talked about this. She questions whether worship was to take place where the Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim or, if, or where the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And when it comes to worship, especially corporate worship, the place was important to God, okay? I'm not saying that place is not important. It did matter to the Lord. If you read the Old Testament over and over, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, he said multiple times, you will eventually worship in the place that I choose. It meant something to God where they worshiped. It mattered. But the place of worship was not the most important criteria to Jesus right here. And he he sidesteps the location question and he goes straight to the real issue of what or whom she should worship. Look at verse 22. Actually, verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship 
for salvation is of the Jews. He says, ye know not what. He says, ye know, he doesn't say, ye know not where. So his point in answering her questions on worship is not that the place matters the most. His answer to her is he's letting her know that her focus, if you're thinking about the place, your focus is man-centered, but our focus in worship should be God-centered. It's not about the where, it's about the who. And his point is this, don't confuse the place of worship with the person of worship. Because there is a difference. So this woman, I believe she had good intentions, but those good intentions were a distraction to the real issue. Where you go to church, it is important. I believe it's very important, but even more important is what you do when you get there. And understand, I'm not up here saying doctrine doesn't matter. All that matters is your, is your intentions and your sincere heart. Now, I believe sincerity and genuineness does matter, but I also believe doctrine matters. So when I stand up here and say, um, it doesn't matter as much where you worship, as much as it matters what you do when you get there, I think we're all in the same boat as Bible believers at Eastside Baptist Church, and whether or not you're a member here or not, I believe you're here tonight because we all understand, we're assuming that you're in a place that teaches the right doctrine. That you're in a place that is teaching and preaching the Bible. So when I say it doesn't matter where you worship, I'm not so saying you can worship in Good Earth State Park as well as you can right here. Now, can you worship at Good Earth State Park? I believe so. But I do believe that's a cop-out for people that don't, just don't want to be under the authority structure of a local church somewhere. Amen. Say, well, I can worship in nature. Well, I can too. But that does not remove you or absolve you from responsibility to be a part of a local church that Jesus Christ died for. So let's just, be, let's just get that out of the way and understand. We're assuming that we're in a place that teaches right doctrine. So, but don't miss the point. Because a number of churchgoers are probably in the same boat as this woman here, um, in Samar- the Samaritan woman here. They mean well, but they miss the point. So for instance, let's say it's a Sunday morning. It's about 9.30 and you've got 15 minutes to get to church, but you've got to get gas. So you stop at Casey's up here on 26 and Veterans Parkway and you're going to fill up real quick. And while you're standing there filling up your car, well, actually, if it's wintertime, you're sitting in your car because you're smart. Um, But, you know, I know they say don't do that, but I'm sorry. I have to break that rule when it's cold. So I, I'm, you're standing there outside your car. Somebody pulls up in, the, in the, the spot next to you. They get out. It's a man. And you notice that he's dressed up. And his family is, and when I say dressed up, I don't just mean in a tuxedo. But you know he's not dressed casually. He's not in pajama pants. Which means he's not going to Walmart. Because that's the Walmart dress code these days. You've got to wear, anyway, don't do that, okay? So he's dressed up. He looks like he's going somewhere. It's a Sunday. You assume that you probably can figure out where he's going. So you greet the man and you say, you're looking spiffy this morning. That's a good word. I I wanted just to type it out. I've never typed that out before, spiffy. What's the occasion? You know what his answer probably is? We're going to church. And that's, that's the proper place to be, by the way, on the Lord's Day. I believe everybody ought to be in church and you ought to be in church when the doors are open. I'm excited they're headed to services. I mean, that's what the Samaritan... But isn't that what the Samaritan woman emphasized? She emphasized the place. Uh, And nowhere did she mention what was done or who would be worshipped in that place. 
And, and we've got to be careful not to replace the place with the person of worship. And a grammar can help with this as well. Um, if we say, well, John, Johnny, I'm going to use Johnny, wherever he's at. He's got glasses on, by the way. Looks good in those glasses, I think. Johnny, so let's say, let's just use a phrase here. If I say Johnny hit the ball, we have a subject. That subject is who? Johnny. We have a verb. That verb is what? Hit. We have um, a direct object, which is what? The ball. Okay, so Johnny hit the ball, grammar lesson. Well, how much sense does Johnny hit make without saying the ball? So let's say that one of his brothers maybe uh, comes running into the house and, and uh, you know, the Jacobs are just kind of doing their thing and one of the other kids comes running in and says, Johnny hit, Johnny hit, Johnny hit. And they say, what did John hit? Or, or who did John hit? Maybe that's more accurate. <laughs> or maybe who hit Johnny? That may be accurate as well. So understand, without the direct object, this sentence is not complete. And it doesn't necessarily make sense. As a matter of fact, it could be confusing and frustrating. So when you're asking, my point is, when you ask somebody what they're doing on a Sunday morning, and they or we rarely say, I'm going to worship the true God this morning. Instead, we say, I'm going to church. And, and, and I believe that in just using that language, we are proving in many ways that we're missing the point. We have replaced very often, and I'm not just saying you, I'm saying myself as well. We have replaced the person of worship with the place of worship. And when you talk to people about church, they'll emphasize the place. They'll emphasize the facilities. They'll emphasize the Sunday school programs and the music and the children's ministries and the friendliness of the people and the message of the pastor. That's what people think when they think church. And all of those are important. They're positive. They're helpful. I believe they're biblical. But God, who is the object of the place of worship, is often not considered when we're talking about church. And in our modern time, we are programmed more to a place than a person. However, it's because of the person that we have a place in which to worship. Consider this illustration. This is one of my favorite illustrations. A long time, Brother Hardy in his book, Worship in the Ear of God, he uses this. So imagine that a longtime friend comes to your door and you've invited him over. Or her over, and they come over and they ring your doorbell. You open the door and greet them and bid them to come in. And to your surprise, rather than returning the greeting, they just walk past you and go into your house. Maybe they've been there many times before, and so you don't really think much of it. You're just trying to understand what's going on, but it's not a big deal. You know they're familiar with the surroundings, and so maybe they, maybe they even make their way into your kitchen, and they open your refrigerator. Maybe some of you have friends like this. They walk into your kitchen, open your refrigerator. They even find something to eat. They find something to drink, but they still have not talked to you. They even join everybody in the family room. Maybe there are people in the family room and, and, and they're talking and they're having a good time. And they go in the family room and they join the others and you're just watching. and they're not, They haven't said anything to you, but they're enjoying the company of everybody else. They even go sit in your favorite recliner. 
These are fighting words now, okay? They sit in your favorite recliner, and then when they're done visiting and they're done hanging out, they quietly get up, and without saying a word, they walk out of your house. Would that be a strange experience? Okay, is that ever, I mean, probably not happened to any of you unless maybe there's a family issue or I could see that happening. Either way, that's not a natural experience. And it, it was as if this person were so thoroughly familiar with your home and they enjoyed being there and they enjoyed visiting the other people there, but they felt no real need and no obligation to converse with you, even though it's your house. Are you, are you starting to see the connection here? See, that scenario may never take place in your home, but it may be more frequent than we realize it in the services of many well-intentioned churches. Is it not true that people come to God's house on Sunday morning and they're greeted at the door? Well, at our church, it is. We've got an army out there. I love it that... You come in and you can't help but be greeted. I think it's great. But aren't there, aren't there times that people come in and they're greeted and they may not talk very much. They just walk right in because they know exactly where to take their kids and they know what class to go to. Are, are, they, are, there, are they not familiar with the surroundings and other people there? Yeah, they've been here many times. Do they maybe even, don't they probably even enjoy the congregational songs and, and the choir and the special music. They probably even enjoy the fellowship time and the handshaking and, 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 and at the close of the service when they leave to go home, they, they say goodbye and they hug their friends and they have benefited maybe from a good lesson in Sunday school. They benefited from the word, uh, being fed the word in the preaching and yet they have not acknowledged the owner of the house the whole time. God himself. And if it seems strange for a friend to arrive and leave without ever speaking to you, what about visiting the house of God without speaking to him in a way that honors him? A.W. Tozer said the modern scientist has lost God among the wonders of his world, but we as Christians are in real danger of losing God amid the wonders of his word. Meaning we can get to a place where it's all about what we've done. It's all about what we're familiar with. And yes, we even say that's a good verse. And yes, we even say that's a good song. And yes, we even say that's a good service. And yes, we even say we had good fellowship. But among all of it, the one to whom we should be focusing and on whom we should be focusing, God himself has not been spoken to. I wonder if our coming to the house of God so many times without acknowledging our, uh, him properly, God properly, suggests to him that he isn't our primary reason for coming and that our purpose is accomplished with or without him. The singing and preaching of the word of God may be intact and may even be good and inspiring and challenging. And without question, prayer, we've prayed and we acknowledge his presence. But would singing and preaching and prayer acknowledge his worth? Who he is and what he is. Would any of those things acknowledge his worth as much as worship? See, who God is demands worship. When Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah, everything else, Isaiah 6, everything else became a distant second to him. 
He said, woe unto me, for I am undone, uh, because I am a man of unclean lips. And as one commentator suggests, Isaiah groveled in the dust of his unworthiness. He says, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And it was, it was his encounter with God, his focus on the Lord, that caused Isaiah to get on his face. It's imperative that we meet with God because the right view of God puts everything else into perspective for us. The holiness of God in focus, it was in focus for Isaiah. It was in focus for the seraphim, those angelic beings. And not only was their perspective adjusted by his presence, but also their physical posture was adjusted. When they realized they were in the presence of God, they couldn't help but be humbled. I mean, as magnificent as these creatures were, I mean, these seraphim, they had had six wings and they were powerful and they were majestic angelic beings. But in the presence of the Almighty, even beings as, uh, as incredible as they are, their demeanor and their strength were drained from them. The seraphim and Isaiah did not casually come into the presence of God and just admiss, they didn't just admiss acknowledging him. They didn't, they didn't just kind of walk past him. When they truly focused on the presence of their God, they could not help but worship. And how is it that the masses can go to their places of worship as if going to the store? You know, the object of true worship is God. And he shares that position with no other The object of worship is God and he shares that position with no other. I think you understand the point tonight. A.W. Tozer reminds us, he says, the impulse to worship is universal. If there's a race or tribe anywhere in the world that does not worship, it has not been discovered. G. Campbell Morgan suggests that everyone worships to some degree, whether the form or fashion. Listen to what he says. The most blatant infidel, denying the existence of a supreme being, yet worships. And if you've read Romans 1, you know that to be true. In where there is no object, then man enshrines his own intellect, bows down before that, declaring that he will receive... And yield to the things he can comprehend. Thus making his understanding the very deity that receives his worship. Understand that? The God complex that we've been talking about in James 4 shows up in worship. And that if we don't, even if we don't, a person doesn't believe in a supreme being. It is so ingrained in us as as image bearers of God himself to worship. That if we don't have a supreme being to worship... Guess who we put on the throne to worship? Ourselves. And if that isn't an indication of many modern church services, I don't know what is, and that the God of heaven should be our focus, and it should be God-centered, it should be about him, and yet when we come in, guess who it's all about? It's all about us. It's all about pleasing us. It's all about, well, I didn't like the temperature. Nobody likes the temperature in the sanctuary, okay? Okay. We're, we, we all have a problem with it. Um, but I, I just have to decide, do we, you know, give out sun, you know, sunscreen or do we give out parkas? Like, you know, it's either going to be hot or cold, right? Well, really, when we come to church, it shouldn't be about the temperature. 
And, and that's why in our services, it's not about, we don't choose our music based on what the masses enjoy to hear because it's not about the masses. It's about the one true God who deserves our worship. And that doesn't mean we don't use a, a newer song from time to time that ministers to people. But it's not about popular music. And it's not about trendiness. And listen, and I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even telling you this because I'm rebuking anyone. Um, because this is between you and the Lord. But the reason I dress up the way that I do when I come to church still is not because I'm trying to set an, even set an example for you. It's because in my opinion, I'm meeting with the God of heaven and if I'm going to meet with him he deserves for me to wear my best and this is the best I have so it's not a, so understand it's it's not even right or wrong it is about your perception of who you're coming to meet with that is the most important thing about your worship the object of your worship will define how you worship it'll define how seriously you take it it'll define how how um how committed you are to attendance. It'll define how committed you are to service. Listen, all of these things, when you consider that you're meeting with the one and only God of heaven, it will change the way that you worship. So as you enter into the presence of God, are you overwhelmed spiritually and physically? If we can come into his presence and not be affected, I believe then we have the wrong view of God. No man ever saw the Lord without being affected. And if when we come to a worship service, we are content just to see fellow believers, then are we not flirting with enshrining ourselves? Worship of self is likely more prevalent than we think. And frankly, worshiping with self as the object is more confusing than seeking to worship a God as high and as holy as the God of heaven. So my challenge tonight to you is this. Refuse to make God equal with the place of worship. When you come here, it is not about where you're going. It is about who you're meeting with. Find a way to focus on the Lord in everything you do on a Sunday and a Wednesday. I mean, isn't it easy when you've been working? Uh, you get off work at 5 or you get off work late at 5.30 and you go home and scramble to try to eat, get the kids ready, and, and you're trying to get the family out the door, and there's chaos, organized chaos, and, and, and you're just trying to get out the door and get to church, and you come in scrambled and rattled. I mean, it's hard to focus sometimes, isn't it? And yet, I would encourage you, if, if you are going to make, when you attend service, you're going to make it about the Lord, find a way to focus on Him in everything that you do. When you sing... Do something to remind yourself this isn't about a song I've sung a hundred times. This is about the Lord I'm singing to. Uh, as you're serving, say, I'm not doing this as unto men. Like Colossians 3 says, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Uh, as you're listening to preaching, don't just think, man, I'm so hungry. I got to get out of here. Think, okay, God is speaking to me about something. What is it that he wants me to hear? As you pray, it's easy to pray and just kind of have the jargon down. Pray with meaning. Pray truly communicating with God. Uh, so refuse to make God equal with a place of worship. Find a way to focus on the Lord every, in everything you do on a Sunday or Wednesday. Three, make worship a part of your Sunday experience. Now, I intend at some point 
uh, to, to have a time of worship, whether we do it consistently or not. Um, but if we, even if we never do, did you know that you don't have to wait for me to give you a cue to worship on a Sunday? I mean, you can worship before you ever get here. You could take time to just stop, stop and speak to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Focus on the Lord. I'm telling you, can you imagine how much more meaningful our song services would be if the vast majority of Eastsiders had already met with the Lord on a personal level before we ever opened a hymnal? We wouldn't have to be you know, pumping or injecting excitement into our music services. I'm telling you, we would be singing with real passion if we all had already met with the Lord on a real level. And then finally, don't spend Sundays focusing on the what. Focus on the who. And when I say Sundays, obviously I mean any time that we meet. But, but maybe you've been in church. How many of you have been in church for more than 20 years? Okay? More than 30 years. More than 40 years. Okay? I mean, we could keep going. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But... But those of us who could have our hand up the longest are probably the most prone to just coming to church. We are probably the most likely to come and not think about who we're meeting with. And yet, when you consider who he is, he deserves the very best worship we can offer. So have you been missing the worship? Have you replaced the person with the place? Maybe we ought to just ask the Lord to help give us a renewed vision and passion for what it means when we come here that it's not about the place, it's about the person, it's about who we're meeting with. And ask him to give us a new passion about seeking the Lord and meeting with the object of worship who deserves our very best. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.